God bless you. How many of you here were for, for the uh, 8 o'clock service? Amen. All right, several hands. Okay, God bless you. And uh, <clears throat> Pastor just said, I'm passing the baton now to you. So this, we've had one service, and we're going into the Sunday school now. This time, then following that's going to be the morning service at uh, 1045. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you're in the house of the Lord today? This is a wonderful day. We've got a lot of things coming up, and this is a... You're going to enjoy our services and everything here today. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for our time together. We ask you, Jesus, to bless us, touch us with a touch from heaven. Let us feel your presence, your power, your spirit, your love, your grace, and your goodness. God, bless the word to our hearts. We thank you for all things. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. And tell them you're glad they're here today. Amen. <clears throat> and we are in the study of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 8. This is one of the most remarkable chapters in the entire Bible. Excuse me. I got the sniffles today, so if I blow my nose a few times, you'll think nothing of it. And uh, <clears throat> I want to uh, start here in chapter 8 in verse 15. I want to read a verse of Scripture to you and then go from there on down. There's some very interesting things in this eighth chapter. We talked about it last week in the first part of it. And we talked about how that the eighth chapter goes into the New Testament where the seventh chapter ends with the Old Testament. We talked about how that the whole thing changes. Paul ends the seventh chapter by saying that uh, I would, if I would do good, but I can't, my mind tells me I should, but my body doesn't respond to it. And he's talking about the futility of trying to live according to the word of God in the Old Testament, that is the law, but not having the spirit of God to help us. And then when he goes into chapter eight, he goes into saying, now there is no condemnation for them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so then he talks about the spirit. We talked about all of that before <clears throat> we talked about how that uh, if a man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We talked about how that if the spirit that raised up Christ dwell in you, it shall also quicken your, body, your mortal body, verse 11. Now today I want to go to verse 15 because I'm going to go into one of the most interesting parts of this uh, eighth chapter. And it ties in with so many other parts of the Bible and other things, particularly in the resurrection. So I would like you to look with me, if you would, please, in 815. He says, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby ye, ye cry, Abba, Father. Take note of the word adoption. I'll be coming back to that word and talking to you about it a little later on. But he says, uh, the spirit of adoption, whereby ye cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba, Father is found three times in the Bible. It's found uh, where Jesus uh, prayed that in the garden of Gethsemane. He, he was praying, he said, Abba, Father, speaking, praying to God. <clears throat> and then it's also recorded here in the book of Romans and also in the book of Galatians. And uh, it, it speaks of, it's, it's, uh, it's saying that I am your son in the literal and real sense to the point that I am an heir. And that's what it really means here. It means Abba, Father, I am uh, your real, I'm not going to go to detail on it because 
Uh, Father's Day, as you recall, I spoke on a message about our Father, which art in heaven, and how powerful that word Father is, and how that our relationship with God is that of a relationship with children to the Father, not of, of master to the servant. And that's the way he has put us to be because of the inheritance that has been promised unto us. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to go in a little bit def- a little bit to further detail here. I've just read to you this 15th verse. Let me read 16 and 17 as well. It says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, he's talking about the Abba Father factor. We are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. The word Abba Father is a statement saying, I am your heir. In other words, I'm not just a servant, I'm your heir. I'll show you some other scriptures here in a moment to to validate what I'm talking about. But he says here in verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the, the heir or receiving the uh, benefits of the heir is, ha, it has to do with the glorification factor that happened to Jesus after he died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And that's also promised to you and I. We'll get more into that in a few moments. Look in, if you would, please, in Galatians. Galatians speaks of this almost, almost word for word, but not quite exact. Galatians 4 and 4. 4 and 4 is speaking of Jesus Christ here in this fourth verse. Uh, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Now the sending forth did not mean he sent him down out of heaven, but it meant he sent him forth out, forth out into the world. The spirit in Christ sent him into the world. You understand what we're saying? Just like uh, the wind sends a ship across the sea, but the wind is in the sails and it sends the ship, but it goes with the ship. Just the same thing, the Spirit of God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And so it says here, the made of woman, that is the man Christ Jesus, and the Spirit sent him uh, into, the, into the world. And it goes, goes on to say in verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that is, we, that we might receive the adoption of sons. All right, we'll be talking about that in a few moments. Verse 6, we're... And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here's that word again. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through uh, Christ. So what is being said here in Galatians is pretty much the same as that is being said in Romans. And Paul is explaining here the position of the church in our position and place in God, and also the promise of the glorification that is to come. And uh, so he talks about the, uh, the adoption. Now, let me just say one thing here in the, uh, the adoption, and I want to talk to you about that. The adoption is not uh, referring to the adoption to the children of Israel or to uh, Abraham's family, but it's, it's speaking about the adoption of our bodies to the heavenly body, to a heavenly body. And I'll get into that more and we'll see it very plainly, very clearly here. Let me just speak to you for a moment about this father factor. 
because the word father is used sometimes or was used in the Old Testament uh, when it had to do with relationship with a servant to a master. And it could just be a term used. But Abba Father was daddy. You're my father. You are, the, you are my begetter. And so I'm going to read this verse of scripture found in 2 Corinthians, I mean 2 Kings uh, chapter 5 and verse 13. This deals with Naaman the leper. Naaman was the leper, was the captain of the Syrian army. He heard about a prophet in Israel who could cure him of his leprosy. So he went to Israel, finally found out who it was. He went to Elisha's house and he you know, said, okay, he had his chariots and horses and a little small army with him and he rode up and uh, he said, go tell the prophet I'm out here. And the prophet, uh, they went in there and somebody told the prophet and the prophet sent his servant out, not him. He didn't come out. He sent a servant out and uh, he sent the servant out and the servant said, the prophet said for you to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And he was offended by that. He said, you know, he was offended. He, he, uh, he, he just, he got mad about it. He said, why, why didn't the prophet come out himself? Look who I am. I'm somebody great. And he doesn't even come out and have the dignity to come out and tell me. And he gets all offended about it. And, uh, and so he gets in a huff and he starts to ride away. And this 13th verse says here, uh, and the, the last words in the 12th verse here in 512 of 2 Kings, the last word says that he went away in a rage. And he said, isn't there cleaner waters in Damascus than we have in Israel? He said, I'm not going to dip seven times in that dirty Jordan River. Verse 13, and his servants, notice this, his servants now came near and spake unto him and said, my father. Now notice that. The servants called him my father. If the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much more then uh, do this that he has told her to wash and be clean? And so he said, oh, okay. So he went and dipped seven times Jordan River. And sure enough, he was cleansed of his leprosy. And that was it for, 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 for Naaman. But the factor that I'm bringing out is simply that he called, uh, these servants called him father. Now, while we're there in Second Kings, looking over in chapter 6 and verse 21, this word is, this phrase is used, 21. The king of Israel said unto Elisha, the king of Israel, said to Elisha, when he saw them, that is an army that Elisha had brought up there to him, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? He called Elisha father. The king did. You understand what we're saying here? That the term was used somewhat loosely when you said my father, my father. Another one is found over in just in Second Kings again. This is chapter 8 and verse 7. Elisha came to Damascus. This is the capital of Syria. And Benadad, the king of Syria, was sick, and it was told him, saying, the man of God has come hither. So he sent a servant and so forth, and the servant went and told him. So Hazel went to meet him and took a present. This is Elisha now. Took a present with him, even of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camels burdened, and came and stood before him and said, thy son, Benadad, king of Syria, has sent me to thee, saying, shall I recover from the disease? Notice he uses the word son. Now, he wasn't his literal son, but he was using that role to say that we are servants to you. Excuse me. So I'm just pointing this out to you here, how that this was a common practice. But when the scripture says he cried, Abba, Father, 
That means you are my real father, the begetter of my life, and therefore I am a true heir. I'm a true heir because uh, in the scriptures it goes on to say that the servants they, and the heirs can grow up together and be alike and play together as kids and so forth, but when they're grown, the heir receives the inheritance where the servant's son does not receive the inheritance. You understand what we're saying? So the Lord is saying here that we cry, Abba, Father. I'm going to go back to Romans for a moment, and I want to talk to you here for a minute here about this uh, word adoption here. <clears throat> now, I want you to notice here in verse 18, I'm going to read that again. This is 818 now of Romans. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us, the glory. So there's a coming glory unto the people of God who are the children of God and who are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. I'm gonna move a little bit further here. Look at this, the word, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature. Now the word creature, and this comes from Strong's Concordance and also Webster's Dictionary. You can check it out if you'd like to do so. But the word creature means a create, the created thing and it also means the object of its creator. It is the object of his creator. The first five letters, C-R-E-A-T, is the same thing in creature as it is in creation or creator. It's the same, it has the same root words meaning here. And it has to do with that that is created, that that has been created by a creator. So it's referring then to the body because God is our creator. God is, is so when it talks about the creature, it is the object of that that was created by God. And so he uses that word in, this, in the scriptures here and is translated into uh, to our English in that fashion. For, so verse 19 says, for the earnest expectation of the creature or the object of the creation, which is the body, the flesh. You see, we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. The Bible tells us that. So that whenever we die, our soul and spirit never dies but it goes back to God who gave it. I'll give you a scripture on that in a few moments. I'm over in the book of Ecclesiastes. But the body is buried in the ground. It goes back from the earth it came to the earth it shall return. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. You've been at funerals, you know what they say and so forth. And so the body goes back to the ground, but we who have the spirit of God and who are in Christ and Christ in us, we have the hope of the resurrection of the body as well. Now, a lot of people can hardly believe that, but that's the belief of the resurrection. That was the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. This, and that, these are these two, two contending factors that was in Jesus' day in Israel. And the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They, you know, they said, oh, your soul, your soul spirit goes back to God, yes. But we didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But the Pharisees believed that. They believed it and they were exact on that. Paul was a Pharisee before he was converted into Christianity. So the Pharisees, even though they were, they were mean-spirited in a lot of ways, they had that part of it right. They did believe in the resurrection. And uh, Paul even used it one time whenever they were trying to nail him on something about being a Christian. And he perceived that some were Sadducees, some were Pharisees. And they said, you know, you're here because you've been stirring up trouble. He said, I'm here because I believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees said, what's wrong with that? And the Sadducees says, what's wrong with that? 
there is no resurrection. The Pharisees said, what do you mean there? And they got into a big squabble and Paul walked away, left it with them, you know. So he, you, you understand he started using it against them in doing that. Now I'm going to move on here because I want you to look at the word creature. This is very important. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, that is the body or the flesh, was not subject to vanity, was made rather, was made subject to vanity, not willing by reason of him who had subjected in the same in hope. The body is subject to vanity. Now, I want you to go to the book of Ecclesiastes for a moment here. Ecclesiastes, the very last chapter and uh, verse 12. This is the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. They say, Solomon wrote the book of the Songs of Solomon in his youth, you know, romantic type writings. He wrote Proverbs in the middle years of his life. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) And that he wrote Ecclesiastes in the latter years of his life. And when you come to the last book in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's like... uh, Solomon tries to analyze life and he comes down to the point that it's just like it's, it's all hopeless. And uh, I want to read to you here uh, the last, some of some verses of scripture that's found in the 12th chapter here because he's talking about when we come down to the end of the road for every one of us, we come facing death. And uh, he says uh, in verse 12, one, remember the creator in the days of thy youth while the evil days come not. And he's speaking of the the, the, when we grow old and, and, uh, and it's time now to be facing death. Verse 5, I'm go very quickly to this. Also, when they shall be afraid, that is older people now, that shall be afraid of that which is high and fear shall be in the way. And the almond tree shall flourish. You know why the almond tree flourishes in the backyard of somebody who's older? Well, they don't have teeth to chew them up. <laughs> so that's why it flourishes, right? It just, the seeds drop on the ground and it just keeps growing and fertilizing and it grows. So underline that. It says, no teeth to eat them. So uh, the almond tree flourishes, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail. Because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. This is the funeral. And verse 6, or ever the silver cord be loosened, and the golden bowl be broken, and the pitcher broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Verse 7, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. You understand what we're saying? So the body returns unto the earth, to the dust that it was, and the spirit goes back. And this is man. This is natural man now. This is what Solomon came to the conclusion of it. So down in verse 13 and 14, he wraps it all up. He says this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Verse 14 For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so Solomon just concluded, well, everything is vanity. All is vanity. And he says that in verse 8. And I'm going to go back to verse 8. He says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Everything in life, you do this, you do that, everything, it comes to nothing. And this is why Paul when writing in the New Testament said, if we do not believe in the resurrection, then let us eat and be merry for tomorrow we die. But he says there is a resurrection and we do have a hope, praise God. So I'm pointing out to you here that 
The New Testament, because of the Spirit of God, gives us a hope that in the Old Testament they did not fully have, they did not fully understand, in some cases, uh, some of those old prophets and patriarchs, they understood it. But some of the others, even with the wisdom of Solomon, they did not fully understand the resurrection. They knew there had to be a judgment, but they didn't quite understand how that could be. So just enjoy life, have a good time, you know, uh, just uh, work hard and uh, enjoy your benefits, enjoy your family and so forth, because one day the evil days will come. And that was his approach to it all. So vanity and vanities, all is vanity. And that was the way Solomon said it. So when you get over here then in Romans chapter 8, and Paul is writing here, he talks about this a little bit. I'm reading verse 21 here again. <clears throat> verse 20, rather. For the creature was made subject, this is 820 of Romans, the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Verse 21, because the creature, that is the body, or the flesh itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Do you see that? That means that even though we die and we are buried and corruption comes about as all, you know, all dead bodies, it happens. It says, because the creature itself is also, is, will be delivered from the corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation, everything, including all mankind, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. In other words, everything goes through this series. Everything is hurt. Things hurt. Uh, animals, the birds, the fish, and, and, and all the world does and everything. Everybody suffers in the body because the body is still in the flesh and the body has not yet been glorified and has not yet gone to heaven and has not yet received its finished and final reward. This is very important, folks, because the Lord's provision to save us and to redeem us is complete. It's total. Praise God. I'm going to show you that in the scriptures here. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, not only just the world, but also we ourselves also, which have the fruits of the Spirit. We groan within ourselves. Even we ourselves groan with, within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, that is to say, the resurrection of the body. Everybody see that? In other words, we were waiting, or we're waiting for the, the adoption is the resurrection of the body, and it is adopting our earthly body to a heavenly body. Praise the Lord. That's what the adoption is. It's not adopting us into the family of Israel. It has nothing to do with that. Because it talks about Israel being adopted as well. But it's the earthly body that God has given us, which he made perfect, and he made it to last forever when he made Adam and Eve. But when sin came into the world, then man then faced death. In the day you shall eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And so the body dies. And so while the spirit goes back to God who gave it, the body dies, but there's coming a resurrection in which God is going to also redeem the body of those who love him who walk with him and have his spirit and love God with all their hearts. Praise God. And this is why the scriptures speak about it. Now, let me say one thing here to all of us, and that is here that not only they, but ourselves also, which have the fruits 
first fruits of the Spirit, we groan within ourselves. That's why I don't, I don't care how much Holy Ghost you got. We still have aches and pains because we're still in the flesh. And we have to understand that. And you can't say, because I'm saved, I don't have any problems. Because I'm saved, I don't hurt anymore. But because I'm saved, I'm not supposed to have any, you know, anything going on. And when we think, well, we do because the Lord's just putting us to the test once in a while he does. But some of it is just the fact we're still in the flesh, you know. And uh, as we grow older in life, those things increase, you know. And when they increase, you just say, God bless the name of the Lord. I love you, Jesus. And you come to church and you praise him anyhow. And you worship God and you glorify him. And along the way, here and there, once in a while, God does heal. And I wish that I could tell you when and how and what's the key. But I've never known anybody that had a key. I just know you pray. The Bible says, if anybody be sick, to let them come to the elders, ask the elders, and the elders will anoint them with oil and pray for them. And that's why we anoint with oil and pray for them, because the Bible teaches us to do that. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, you know. And I can't always tell you why or when or who or anything, but I just know God does it. Praise the Lord. I prayed for a blind boy one time, many years ago, up in Crawfordsville, Indiana. And the boy was instantly, his eyes opened. I and his pastor, Brother Wright, we were praying. We prayed for that young man, a 12-year-old boy. His grandfather brought him to church. We prayed for him, and his eyes were open. He could see. He was blind. That was an amazing thing. I mean, I, I stood, my mouth dropped open. Wow, wow, look what God has done. And the first thing he did, he saw, he saw a picture that was over the baptistry. There was sort of an opening like that, and the baptistry was in there. And he had the picture of Jesus holding a lamb in his arm. And he says, I see that picture. I see that picture. And, uh, and he got to yelling and jumping around. And, uh, and the place went wild, you know, and everything. And he just, he could see things. He just ran all over the place. He could see, he could see. He's looking, picking up things, picking up books, reading it. It was an amazing thing to see. Needless to say, the next night, that church was packed out. The windows were open. People sticking their heads in the window. <laughs> it brought revival, you know. Maybe that's what God wanted to do. But I'm just trying to say, I've seen those things happen. But I've seen other times when it didn't happen. I wish I could tell you why. You know, I prayed for a woman in a wheelchair one time that had a brain tumor. And she was confined to a hospital. They were going to operate on her. She, her she's paralyzed on her whole, I, I forgot which side, left or right side. I forgot which side it was. But she was paralyzed on the whole side of her body. And she was in Shane's hospital. And they said, we're going to have to operate and take out this tumor out of your, your brain so that you have the paralysis, maybe we can salvage you from being paralyzed. And she said, I want to go home first and be prayed for. And so she came home and she, and she called me up and said, Brother Meyer, did you come by and pray for me? And I just, of course, running around town, just driving around, you know. I said, yeah, I'll be by there and everything. And I went by there and she was sitting in a wheelchair and I prayed for that woman and she was not living for God like she should. She had sort of was a backslider. And I said, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord came on to me after I'd prayed for her and she was crying. And I said to her, I said, if God heals, her name was Register. I said, Mrs. Register. I called her Mrs. because she wasn't living for God like she should have. So I didn't call her sister. I said, Mrs. Register, if God heals you, will you live for him? Just, I mean, bold. She said, oh, yes, I will. I, yes. She started crying, lifted her hand. I laid hands on her one more time. And I felt the presence of God just come down over us. And while I'm standing there and she's in a wheelchair and I got my hand, my hand goes up like this. 
And she's under that, and she's up walking, and she's jumping all over the place, shouting and waving her arms around and dancing in the spirit. And I pray for her and, and everything, and then she dances all over the place. And I, I left her just dancing in the spirit. I finally got in my car, drove on, just left it with her, you know. She uh, cooked supper for her husband. He came home from work, and he liked to fell out when he saw her up walking around cooking. And then she got in her car and drove to church that night, first time she'd been in church for a while. And started living for God again. You see how God worked? I don't know why he chose her and not somebody else. I have no idea. I prayed for a woman in a wheelchair in Defunac uh, Springs, Florida one time. Every night in the revival, I prayed for this woman, prayed for this woman, prayed for, the, prayed for this woman. Good lady and everything. And she's in a wheelchair and nothing ever happened. Brother Christoph, how many of you remember old Brother Christoph, old Bulgarian preacher? Some of you older people remember Brother Christoph. He was talked with a heavy accent and everything. And he'd been in Pensacola and he, was, and he prayed for a lady in a wheelchair. And he said, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And she said, ha, who do you think you are? The apostle Peter? And he said, he walked away and said, no more. I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna pray for nobody anymore, no more. I'm, won't, I'm never, not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna pray for them and, and like that. It, it just, I mean, it just deflated him. He went to the Funiac after I had been there and prayed for this lady every night. And he went there and she was in a wheelchair and she came up and she wanted prayer and he went to pray for her. And the Lord spoke to him and say to her, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he said, no, I'm not going to say it. Because that woman in Pensacola laughed at me for doing that. And he wouldn't do it. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. And they kept praying. Finally, he said, oh, well, so what? I mean, you know, you might as well just believe God do it. Obey the word of the Lord. So he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And she came up out of that wheelchair and danced all over the place. Now, why she was a heel when I prayed for her? I don't know, unless the Lord was going to use him in order for it to happen for his sake. You know, God works in mysterious ways. But what I am saying is that all of us will suffer afflictions in the flesh. And when we do, it's not because we don't serve God or we don't know the Lord or that God doesn't favor us. It's just some, it's just things that happen in the flesh and it comes with the territory. Amen. But one day, one day, hallelujah, we're going to have a glorified body in that resurrected body when the Lord comes back. Praise God. And uh, the Bible says that we'll be joint heirs with Christ. So what happened with Christ will also happen with us. Now, here's what the Bible says. I want to read about the resurrection in a moment. But let me show you the scripture in Philippians 3, 21. It says, uh, speaking about, uh, we look unto the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the 20th verse. And then in verse 21, it says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. In other words, we'll have a body like Christ. You understand what we're saying? Our bodies will be changed in the, in the, in the rapture if we're alive. And in the rapture, if we go before, before hand to death, then we'll come forth in the resurrection. And then over in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, that is at the rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is because you'll not be able to look upon him unless you are like he is. Unless you have a glorified body like as in his glorified body. 
That's why Romans says we are joint heirs with Christ. Praise the Lord. Whenever uh, Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarshish on the road to Damascus, the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, and he was going there, you know, he had papers in his hand, he was going to persecute the church and all that. The Lord appeared to Saul. He was called Saul then, later Paul. His name was changed to Paul. But he appeared to Paul, Saul then, and he was brighter than the noonday sun. So bright. Just think about it. Brighter than the noonday sun. And whenever Paul looked up at him, he was blinded. He was blinded for three days. And he received his sight back whenever Ananias the prophet prayed for him, received his sight, and also received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, praise God, and was baptized in the name of Jesus by Ananias the prophet. And I tell you all of that so that you understand here that the brightness of the Lord is so glorious. When John saw him on the Isle of Patmos and the book of Revelation was going to be revealed and the Lord appeared unto him, John saw the brightness and the glory of God and he fell at his feet as a dead man. He just took everything out of him. Now, what are you saying, Brother Myers? I'm saying that we cannot look on Christ unless we are like him. This is why the scripture talks about it over there in, uh, in, in 1 John the way it does. It says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. I'm reading here again from 1 John 3, 3 2. Now are we the sons of God and it does not yet how we appear. We shall be be, but we shall know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Praise the Lord. And so God has given us a wonderful hope. Amen. And I'm going back to this Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Uh, and not only they, groaning themselves, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting. Oh, I love that word. We're waiting. It's coming. Amen. Hey, we're waiting waiting for the adoption, that the adoption now, he tells us what it is, that is to say, the redemption of our body. You see, when we get saved, our soul and spirit's redeemed, we've been bought. And I can show you in scriptures here where it talks about how that we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I can give you several numbers of verses, you know that. We are the redeemed, we're the redeemed of the Lord, but the body is not yet redeemed. And it will not be redeemed until that resurrected time. That's why we still have aches and pains and hardships and difficulties in the flesh because we're still in the flesh and we're still in the body. And uh, this is why we read those scriptures over here in, in 8.11 in Romans. It says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, if that spirit dwell in you, uh, dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, that means make alive, it shall make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So that we who are alive when Christ comes back, amen, our bodies shall be changed and we'll be quickened by the spirit of the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we who are going on to be with the Lord and the flesh is still in the body, the flesh is in the ground, brother, then that will also be quickened as well. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at 1535. Uh, this is the resurrection chapter, if you ever want to mark that in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. And Paul really gets into the resurrection because he says some people just don't believe in the resurrection. There is a resurrection. And uh, he, he analyzed it in every way. Here's what he says. But some men will say, verse 35, some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? 
We're talking about the dead because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. It says the corruptible shall put on incorruption. That's the dead. And the mortal, that's the alive, shall put on immortality. So you have both. Now, so look at this verse 35 very carefully here with us. But some, uh, some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, that is made alive, except it die. All right. Let me just say this. Your soul and spirit doesn't die. Therefore, there is no resurrection. The resurrection is only that which is dead, right? So the body is the only thing that dies. Our spirit goes back to God. Isn't that what the scripture said in, in, in Ecclesiastes there in that last chapter? You know, the body goes back to, I mean, the spirit goes back to God who gave it. And so if this body is the only thing that dies, that is what has to resurrect the body. So it says here in this 36th verse, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quick and except it die, which is the body. I'm going to go ahead and let these folks come on in because I don't want you to miss this last part here I'm going to bring out to you. Praise God. Look at verse 36 in your scriptures here. This is uh, 1536. It says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Verse 37. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. Now what he's trying to say here is that whatever you sow in the ground, when it comes forth, it's different than what you sow. You say, wait a minute, Brother Myers. If I sow a grain of corn in the ground, I get corn, right? Yes. <coughs> but first, you get a stalk, right? You get a stalk, you get leaves, you get all kinds of things that go with it. So the resurrection of that seed is not just one great big, one great big grain of corn that comes out of the ground, but it is a stalk. So what he's saying is that what you sow is one body, but it comes forth a different body. And this is what he's pointing out here. And he says, so is the resurrection as well. So that whenever we, are, we die and we're buried, the body that we're buried with, even though that body is changed, it is changed in corruption and incorruption, yet it is a new body or a glorified body that is not like the old body. You know, it's going to be a body like unto his body. Praise the Lord. As he was in the resurrection, not so much the resurrection as he was in the glorification when Jesus went up. Jesus was not glorified till he ascended into heaven. He was in a resurrected form. Now I'm going to read a little bit further here, this first Corinthians, so that we tie it all together. And I know my time's getting away here. This is 15 now 42. I'm still in the 15th chapter of first Corinthians. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Verse 44, I'm skipping time, skipping verse here to save time. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, verse 48, as is the earthly, that's what we are now. We are the earth earthly. Such are they also that are earthly. That's us. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. 
Praise the Lord. That's what the adoption's all about. Can I just say this today, folks? Jesus came to this world. He died on Calvary and he shed his blood into the ground. That blood was given. Did you know that? It was given to this earth. When Jesus appeared after the resurrection, he said, touch me and see if I am not flesh and bone. He never said flesh and blood. The blood of Jesus was given. That was the redemptive price. That was what he paid for our redemption. Not only the redemption of our soul, but the redemption of our body, because our body is of the earth earthly. He gave his blood in exchange for our bodies that is of the earth may be heavenly. Praise the Lord. So that blood, that, blood is still, that blood is still in the earth here. It's still to the earth. Amen. It's, that's why that we can still call on the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus is just as powerful today as it was when the day he shed it. I was praying for a, a, a young lady one time that had leukemia. And I'd been fasting three days and, and three nights and praying for her and go down to church and praying. I'd walk and pray it. And I was saying, Lord, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I was just talking like that, you know. And, uh, and uh, I was saying, singing that song, when I see the blood, I will pass over. And I was just praying for this young lady. And the devil spoke to me just as plain and said, ha, where is the blood of Jesus? You're singing about the power of the blood. All this went through my mind so quick. You're singing about the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed 2,000 years ago and dropped into the hot Judean sand, and you're singing, and singing about the blood and the power of the blood. And boy, the scripture came on the heels of that, and I said it out loud, and I said, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and one and a thousand years as one day. It's just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. I said, get behind me, devil. Hallelujah. God is great. And I went right on praising God and glorifying God and praising him. That's one of the few times I've ever heard the devil, not audibly, but just in my own head, talking to me like that. And I just rebuked him. And remember this, scripture always drives Satan away. Always. Always use scripture. Praise the Lord. And he brought that scripture. That's why these children memorizing scriptures like they have. You're going to hear some awesome things here this morning in our morning service. But these kids that learns these scriptures and memorize them, it is awesome. They get that and they never lose it. It's with them for, the, for all their life. And they fight the enemy with the word of God. Praise God. It is powerful. And so he goes on to say here, and I'm going to read this last, these last few verses. He says in verse 50 here. He says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot in inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption, but I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Hallelujah. And God is good. And we have a hope, amen, that nobody in the world has but those who are the redeemed. Amen. We are redeemed in spirit and soul, but we're also going to be redeemed in body. Amen. When Jesus comes back again. And even if you go on and just sort of be with the Lord and your body is still left in this earth, one day it'll all come back together again. Amen. God will bring it all together. And all, all men will stand before God in the end time, praise the Lord, the judgment seat. And you and I will not stand to be judged. We are judged daily, but we'll sit on the throne of his throne to be a judge with Christ. 
Amen. The Bible says, you know you're not, ye shall judge the world. Aren't you glad you know the Lord? Isn't serving God a wonderful thing? If you don't have the spirit, ask God to give the spirit to you. He wants everybody to have it. It is his will that all be saved. Let's stand together and lift our hands and worship God and thank him here this morning. Jesus, we love you so much. We glorify your name. God bless this wonderful congregation. Keep your hand on us in all things, Lord. Bless the morning service. Thank you for your word, O oh God. We glorify you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.